Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So the mayor of uh, Chicago, I, I hope I'm attributing this correctly, uh, might have been might have been the chief of police. No, it was the mayor of Chicago, uh, said um, uh, last night, there's nothing noble about uh, what, what took place in, in terms of, uh, of the rioting and the looting on this magnificent mile in, in the city of Chicago. Felony criminal conduct is the way that she described it. Nothing noble about it. The word noble is significant there because what she is pointing to is this idea that uh, savage behavior is noble, that there is the noble savage. And the reason that I use that language is because that's the language of Rousseau. And the reason that I'm lifting up Rousseau this morning is because Rousseau is a French philosopher. He died a year prior to the beginning of the French Revolution. So we're talking here about the very influential ideas of a guy who died in 1788. Okay, and the reason we're talking about him is because Attorney General William Barr, Bill Barr, described the political left, actually the extreme political left right now, as Rousarian, Rousarian revolutionaries. And if you don't understand who... Rousseau is, and you don't understand the Rousseauian idea of the noble savage, and you don't understand that Rousseau believed um, that uh, personal property rights were completely made up, that they were uh, fabricated by people who wanted to steal land from, quote-unquote, other people, and even though you can't steal land that nobody owns. Um, so the, the assertion of private property ownership, the, uh, the assertion that Sin is real, and there is a redemptive narrative, a redemptive arc over uh, over human history, and people need to be redeemed, and there's nothing noble about our savagery. Okay, so the reason I'm bringing this up is because you can't actually understand what's being talked about uh, in the worldview contest between those on the extreme left of the political discourse today if you don't understand the French philosophies uh, and the French philosophers, Rousseau among them, um, who who really lay the bound uh, lay the groundwork or the foundation for people who would say that um, no, you don't really have a genuine freedom of speech if it's contrary to what the noble savage is saying, and no, you don't have personal property rights if it is contrary in any way. Um, well, actually, you just don't have them. They they just. Uh, they disregard personal property ownership altogether. So what you're seeing played out on the streets of Portland or on the streets of Chicago, according to um, Bill Barr, the United States Attorney General, that is what it looks like when a Rousserian or Rousseauian revolutionary idea begins to take root in a culture. 
So if this feels like we're going back to school, yes, we are. It's like philosophy 101. Um, John Stone Street actually has a really fun Quizlet on this. If you, uh, if you use Quizlet for your kids as a back-to-school thing, jump on their Quizlet account and look for Postmodernism Quizlet. Uh, it's a John Stone Street piece that's really, really good for understanding this. I also have a chapter on this in my book, Speak the Truth. Uh, if you want a copy of that, oh, just text me and I'll send you one, uh, 877-933-2484. All right, uh, Mark Caleb Smith is standing by. He is going to explain to us uh, what it means for the political left to be functioning as Rousserian or Rousseauian revolutionaries, how that's also a reference to Hegel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going back to school this morning. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University to explain French philosophy and why it matters today. Woo. Welcome. Welcome, scholar friend. Hey, Carmen. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Uh, I'm doing just fine. It's uh, We're getting ready to start classes here next Monday, so things are operating at a fever pitch right now in Cedarville, Ohio. Fantastic. Let's brush up on our... Um, French philosophy from uh, the mid-1700s so that we can understand what's happening today on the city streets of America. Did you like that as a, as a connecting point? I thought I was going to be doing that necessarily middle of this week, but this is good stuff. Right? Okay. So I do think that when we hear, let's say, Attorney General um, Bill Barr describe the extreme political left as Rousarian or Rousarian revolutionaries— right. And then we hear Mark Levin, who's interviewing him, make a reference to Hegel. I just have to admit to you, you feel like we have to go back to school for a period of time because it's been a long time since some of us took uh, French philosophy <clears throat> or the philosophy of the French Revolution. Um, and, or in reality, most of us never took that class. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And we don't talk about Jean-Jacques Rousseau uh, very often, but he's certainly one of the most influential political thinkers uh, in the last 500 years. And I think that uh, Attorney General Barr is correct that the, the left right now has pretty strong doses of Rousseau in it. Um, you know, it's always hard to say, well, it's this thinker that really drives this movement or these people, because there's so many different connections, if you want to think of it this way. But um, yeah, Rousseau definitely exercises a huge influence. And there's a lot to unpack. I mean, but I think the good place to start would be to think through um, how he views human beings. I mean, what does it mean to be a human being for Rousseau? Uh, in his mind, human beings are basically good. You know, they're natural, sort of shy, timid creatures that stripped away from society at their very core. They're basically good people who are just sort of trying to get by. Um, whereas we think of a Christian point of view, and we think of human nature, we obviously end up in a very different place. Um, it's almost like for Rousseau, Human beings are in Eden, and they've always been in, in the Garden of Eden, and that's never changed. We just need to get rid of everything that isn't Eden. Well, for us as believers, we believe in the Garden of Eden, but we believe in the fall. And that's where you really see the huge differences start to, to break out between, I think, a biblical view of the world and then someone like Rousseau. 
Yeah, so Rousseau is is where we get the idea of the noble savage, um, this idea that there is an uncorrupted morality um, if nature is just left to itself. Uh, And those of us from a Christian worldview would say um, just the opposite is true. Left to itself, um, man, you know, finds a rock and kills his brother. Um, And, I mean, we have to have uh, God influencing us in order for our— uh, the way that we think and therefore the way that we live to be redeemed and reconciled to a righteousness, otherwise left to our own. We just devolve into, um, well, uh, uh, the state of beasts. It's uh, it's almost like a if you have an evolutionary understanding of things, right. um, then maybe what Rousseau is saying is man has evolved to the place where he has he has like evolved his own natural morality. You and I would look at that and say, no, no, man was actually created in the image of God and devolved through sin into a state where he acts like an animal. Yeah, but for, that's right. But for Rousseau, the sin, so-called, would be human structures and human society. Um, and so, you know, his famous quote is, man is free, but everywhere he's in chains. You know, as a basic being, we're free, but society enslaves us. And so the goal is to strip away the layers of that society until we reach that basically good human being again. So when you're talking about anarchists, I wouldn't call Rousseau an anarchist, but when you talk about people who look at authority and who look at government and who look at society and say, you know what, this is all terrible. Let's just burn it down. If we burn it down, then we'll be happy. If we burn it down, then we can return to our basic goodness. Yeah, this is a that's a pretty Rousseauian um, point of view. I and mean, when you think about it for him, you know, the old nature versus nurture argument, is it the environment, is it the person himself? Well, for Rousseau, it's all the environment. The environment is destroying us. Uh, what's at our core is essentially good. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's the big difference between, I think, right now, conservatism, however we want to define that, and progressivism. Um, conservatives typically believe that we're more like the Lord of the Flies if we're left alone. Things devolve very quickly. Uh, we will turn to violence, we will turn to, str- to strife, we will turn to discord, and uh, things fall apart without structures of society. Well, Rousseau see those, sees those structures of society as the problem. So in his mind, you know, that famous novel about the boys uh, who end up on the deserted island, uh, The Lord of the Flies, in his mind, those boys would be just fine. Uh, but in uh, Golding's mind and someone like Thomas Hobbes or other thinkers' minds, those boys devolve into chaos, uh, so it's just diff- fundamentally different views of humans, and often that's where worldview differences start. Well, and if we just apply that to the experiences that we're having as a nation right now, there are obviously people in positions of elected leadership who think that if you just back off and let people sort of you know, have their moment of rage, things will naturally calm down and return to a status of order all on their own. And then there are others who are saying – Um, This is criminal behavior. And in order to bring it under control, we actually have to have law enforcement move in um, and restore order. I mean, this this contest of worldviews is real and it's being played out on the cities of America's streets right now. Uh, I mean, not only is it real, uh, but it has real world consequences, as you said. These are differences that emerge um, and they're going to determine whether or not you want to use the police, whether or not you're going to use order and coercion of government. Um, and, and, and we see these decisions being played out right now, as you said, in places like Portland uh, and elsewhere. 
And this is part of where we get into the idea of the culture war. I mean, the culture war that we're looking at right now in America is truly built on different philosophies, uh, different views of the world. And that's why one of the reasons why it's so hard to reach a compromise between these two kinds of positions. And how do you dialogue? How do you get into discussion about solutions when you start in such different places? Uh, I, I think it's possible to have those kind of discussions, uh, but your starting places are so different. It just makes it really tough. So we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, uh, Mark Caleb Smith and I are going to talk about the foundation upon which the Democratic uh, National Committee has constructed or is constructing its party platform. So we are talking about foundational ideas, how those are influenced by worldview. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. All right. The Democratic National uh, Committee has uh, issued a draft of its party platform. Um, we don't have time to cover the entirety of the draft, but what's what's in it that catches your attention that you think we need to know about? Uh, some interesting things here. I mean, a lot of it is kind of boilerplate stuff that you'd expect to see in any kind of Democratic document. So lots of discussions of... Uh, rights. You see lots of discussions of the LGBTQ community, for example, um, and race relations, things like that. But I think some interesting things is you do see some differences in the platform, uh, even from what Joe Biden typically has been arguing um, on the campaign trail. Uh, Biden wants the platform doesn't make that kind of an endorsement. Uh, so I think that's that's part of it. You see other. All right, you other have to wait. You got to repeat well. that because you dropped out right when you were telling us what, right when you were making that point. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's no problem. Um, yep, the the platform calls for a um, doesn't call for a ban on fracking, but Joe Biden does call for a ban on fracking and public lands. And so, in some ways, the platform may be designed to reach out to union supporters in a way that Biden isn't doing rhetorically, for example. Uh, the platform calls for Medicare for all, you know, universal health care through Medicare for all. Biden has been staunchly against Medicare for all during the campaign. And so you do, do see some differences, but that isn't a huge surprise when I mean, you often see presidents and platforms diverging a little bit. In some ways, it's useful politics, right? I mean, the platform can do things the president can't do. And you can always encourage supporters and say, yeah, you know, we have some diff differences with this candidate. But, you know, as a party, we're generally behind what you think. And so... Uh, in some ways, not a huge surprise in any of the document. Um, anything in there that you would say from a Christian worldview, um, people need to be really attuned to um, and alert alert for? Like uh, uh, maybe a talking point um, for a Christian who could say, here, um, here are a couple of things in the Democratic Party platform that trouble me as a person who is pro-life. Yeah, I mean, certainly the platform is staunchly uh, pro-choice. Um, and I, I know in all my discussions uh, with Christian friends, you know, I think it's fair to say that we're in the middle of a difficult political season because um, a lot of Christians are just conflicted right now uh, when they look at the political landscape. Uh, even if they have support for President Trump, there's some things about him they have reservations with. Um, but the abortion, the way the Democratic platform approaches abortion and the way the party has generally approached abortion really does remain, I think, a, a huge sticking point. Um, it's unapolog unapologetically pro-choice. Uh, I think it's fair to say that to some degree the party has built itself around 
uh, the pro-choice position. That filters into how they view the Constitution, filters into how they view judges, and filters into how they view the role of government, and obviously in defining life itself. Um, <clears throat> that's not changed. That's not going away anytime soon uh, in the Democratic Party because it's right there in the platform itself. So it's it, it certainly is an issue that, that I think is, is proper for Christians to, to criticize. Um, and then when you throw, when, when even when you look past that, the platform really is a call for a very large, very expansive government, um, the kind of which I think can easily run out of control. And as a believer, I'm always worried about concentrated power uh, because people can abuse that power based on human nature. You know, it goes back to our previous conversation. So there's certainly a couple of things there that, that give me some pause. I think when we talk about the uh, the way that a worldview works itself out, if my primary, if the primary plank of my platform is that I'm going to be unapologetically pro-choice, like if that's my starting point, um, that has implications, as you say, for the role of government, for the Supreme Court, but also for healthcare, education, my understanding yeah. of marriage and family, work, um, religious freedom protections, on and on and on. And so um, for people who are accused of being, let's say, one-issue voters, I think that, you know, we, we can say, here's the challenge. That one issue affects every other issue um, as we approach the conversations in terms of um, how government is involving itself or would like to involve itself in all of these other um, in all of these other areas as well. All right, Mark, you and I probably don't have time to talk about Trump's uh, fa faith outreach. Um, but you know what? That faith outreach is, is going to continue. So we'll, um, we will still have time because November's not here yet. That's the truth. It's always going to be a conversation because <laughs> they're going to continue to reach out to people like us, no doubt. Hey, how can we be praying um, for you and others like you as you guys return to school this week? You know, thanks a lot for asking that. I mean, we are uh, doing our best to get ready to serve our students. Please pray for our faculty and our staff, especially our faculty and staff who are in difficult health positions uh, or those who just simply want to teach and they want to stay safe. I mean, we want to have a safe community. We want our students to be safe. We want our faculty and staff to be safe. Um, and just pray for us to all behave and to all uh, take the best guidelines that we can as we start class next week. We, I'd really appreciate it. Let's do that right now. Father, we come before you, uh, brother and sister in Christ, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, interceding on behalf of all of those who right now are preparing to return to school for, for kids and for parents, for teachers, um, for coaches, for school administrators at every level. Uh, in particular, Father, we are focusing right now on those in higher education, uh, and so we lift up to you. Um, institutions, including Cedarville and the University of Northwestern at St. Paul and um, and our friends at Union. And I mean, on and on and on. Father, the list is so long. Um, and so we want to lift up to you uh, believers who very much desire to be in community with one another, to do so in a way that is safe and honoring to you um, and raises up the next generation of your people into, um, in, you know, into an educated cadre of citizens who can serve you um, by all of the vocations uh, for which you are preparing them right now. We know that you have prepared good works in advance for us to do. We thank you that you have supplied every spiritual resource that's necessary for the accomplishing of your will in our lives. And so, Father, we rely on that, and we ask, uh, we ask for your grace and your mercy in keeping everyone healthy and safe uh, in the coming weeks and months in this academic year. Thank you, Father, um, for tending to our prayers, even as we seek to glorify you in and through this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Carmen. I really appreciate it.
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, have a great day. Thanks for joining us. We, we appreciate your, your input, especially, you know, the sort of uh, educational component of today's uh, conversation. I just love it. I mean, who else am I going to talk with Rusarian, you know, philosophy about on air? Okay. I got to take a quick break for Greg Laurie's Knowing God, and then we'll be right back. So sometimes you get to talk to a New York Times bestselling author uh, who's a writer and a teacher and a speaker who's also your friend. All right, so next up, Margot Starbuck is going to join us. She and I actually got our graduate degrees at the same time uh, at Princeton Theological Seminary, and she is joining us today to talk about her newest book. But let me like let, let me set this up. Margot is one of the most joy-filled, genuinely funny people I have ever met in my entire life. When I was describing her to my producer, Paul, I said, okay, it feels like Margot was like born in the wrong generation. Like, I feel like if I had known an actual like hippie spirit person in the 1960s um, or early 70s, it would be Margot. Um, so anyway, get prepared for, I mean, some real joy, some just flat out joyful conversation with Margot Starbuck. Her latest book um, is actually uh, a grown woman's guide to online dating. And um, huh, there's a reason at this stage of life that she is engaged in that. So there you go. We'll be right back. How's the chemistry with people in your house? Are you truly connecting? And how's your relationship with your team? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. After 30 plus years of working with struggling teens and their families, I've come to realize that almost everything goes back to relationship. A discipline problem is usually a relationship problem. Conflict becomes an enemy where there's no connection between parent and child. And rules in your home that aren't backed by a strong sense of rapport will eventually yield rebellion. Hey, there's no better time than right now to work on connecting with your team. No matter how you've blown it in the past, it's never too late to pursue relationships at home. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. on a conversation we have never had here on Mornings with Carmen, and that's about online dating. But that's because my good friend and sister in Christ, Margot Starbuck, who is a comedian and an author, has written The Grown Woman's Guide to Online Dating. Margot, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, girl. Thank you. Okay, so you just delight me. I mean, I, I don't really care what the subject matter is. It delights me to be talking with you about it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to connect. So, so I okay, so I have this this question um which plagues me, and that is are you still um like uh, sewing fringe around the bottoms of jean of uh, the legs of a jean, you know, pair of jeans? Like that's my favorite Margot Starbuck memory from, you know, a hundred years ago is that you would take blue jeans and then you would you would sew things onto the bottoms of the legs because well you're tall. <laughs> Carmen, things are still being embellished, skirts and boots and all the things. Yes. <laughs> Embellishment. I love that. Okay. So, Margot, you have um, you have embarked on um, quite a project, um, something that, first of all, people are pretty afraid to talk about in public, 
Christians mm. utilizing an online dating platform um, in their, I'm going to just go ahead and say, late 40s, early 50s. Fair, fair. I know. So you have to you have to take it from there. Like, this is a scary subject matter area. Um, uh, so let's uh, first of all, let's let's take a little of the fear out of this. This is a really practical conversation that you're seeking to have in the Grown Woman's Guide to Online Dating. I mean, really practical. Talk with people about what's in here and the motivation to write it. Yeah. Um, boy, it's certainly someplace I never imagined I would find myself in my late 40s. And once I got there, um, my kind of guides were these precious young like women in my neighborhood in their 20s and 30s. And I'm asking them how to do all the things. And I'm discovering a lot along the way. But what I realize is there are a lot of women in their 40s, 50s, who are also trying to figure this out. So I wanted to be that friend, that cheerleader, the friend in the trenches who kind of knows what it's like. So let's let's figure this out and do it the best we can. All right. So uh, full disclosure here. Uh, at 40, my sister looked at me and said, um, okay, all of the people who you know, none of them want you. So it is time for you to branch out and get online and see if there's somebody out there that uh, is interested in you. And so at 40 is when I created an online profile through which I met my husband, Jim, and we've now been married almost 10 years. I so, forgot that was your story. I know. And so I'm so glad you did not call me in advance to interview me for the book because I am blushing now even having to say it out loud. Why yes. do we feel weird? Why do we feel weird about God working in this way? Yes. Well, I think it's because of that horrible thing your sister said, right? But that's definitely <laughs> the implication that we've got to hustle. And Carmen, when I created a fake guy's profile so that I could see women's profiles, right? Because normally I only have access to men's profiles. I wanted to see women's profiles. And what I realized is there was a woman who said, I'm not, um, basically, I'm not out looking for a man. I am positioning myself to be found. And what that's about is the scripture verse that says, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. So she wasn't hunting and she was just positioning herself to be found. So there's even this theology around it that, um, yeah, that, that, that women shouldn't go looking. But, you know, I do have, even though I'm a looker, I have mad respect for her for kind of, yeah, opening the doors, being open to this possibility, which is a little scary. And I think women need to be super brave to do it. Yeah, I do think it, there is a courage that is required um, and then there's also an honest diligence to the entire process. Um, I, I found in my own experience that the um, being incredibly honest about myself, um, but then also being kind of brutally honest as I assessed other people, um, if there's something that bothers you in the very beginning, it's going to really bother you further down the road. And so, I mean, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and Carmen, even as you're saying that, like, mm, I've noticed that some of the things, yes, that I'm initially attracted to, um, I'm initially attracted to, like, 
they might make for a fun first date, but I'm finding that those are different qualities than the things that make for a long and lasting relationship. So yes, there is this um, like real need for self-reflection, self-awareness to notice why some of us, and I definitely include myself in here, sort of make the same bad choices again and again. And actually, Henry Cloud has a beautiful book on dating called How to Get a Date Worth Keeping. And he suggests, you know, look at those old patterns that haven't worked until now and do something different, which I think is great advice. Oh, I do too. I'm writing that down. I'm Henry Cloud. Is, uh, he's got some wonderful things to say. Uh, Margot Starbuck is my guest. We are talking about the Grown Woman's Guide uh, to Online Dating. You can find Margot at margostarbuck.com. Highly recommend that. Let's talk about some of the um, red flags signaling um, signaling caution uh, along the way. You, you list 16 of them. We're not going to cover them all, but what are some of the red flags? No, no, no. Um, boy. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say, I want to say, trust your gut. If something sort mm-hmm. of strikes you as being a little off, pay, I don't think we're trained to really pay attention. And a lot of times I think that thing we called our gut actually is the Holy Spirit. But like, oh boy, like if all of his pictures, I mean, a lot of his common sense, if all of his pictures, he's holding a liquor drink or posing with Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, like it's fair <laughs> you know, to notice that. Um, boy, if a man is particularly demanding in the or angry in the words that he's right, some people waste their profile real estate just to gripe about how awful dating sites are. Mm. Um, yeah, I just <clears throat> I feel like there's a lot of little clues like that that we can um if if we're if we're honest and paying attention, um, that can kind of signal us on the front end um to just keep moving. Yeah, to maybe try someone else. So um I have a lot of first conversations, first and only, right? And that's okay. Like I think we need to sort of create the the permission um level of this to say as a woman, you do not, you're not obligated to a second conversation. You're not obligated to continue in a conversation with a person who you want to say, you know, thanks for, ta- thanks, you know, thanks for the conversation because you're going to move on. Um, I, I think, Margot, that part of the challenge for Christian women in particular here is that, um, you know, we, we have this like strange gratitude that somebody turned to give us attention. So, I, I mean, how weird is that? It's weird, right? It is. And what I want to encourage women is that mm, this isn't a journey of you looking for acceptance or worth. Um, you're really starting this journey, I want to say, as someone who is already beloved. And I feel like that's a challenge for all of us to really stand on that and live into it. But if we don't, then it's going to become, yeah, this whole other thing. Um, but I love that reminder, Carmen, to, um, uh, yeah, to not feel obliged to anyone. And yeah, <laughs> I'm really excited about this Henry Cloud book. Yeah, like what he's saying is like get out there, meet a lot of people. And obviously they're not all going to be fits, but I really think there's so much value and opportunity for personal growth um, 
when we do that. And a lot of us are kind of learning how to manage that and navigate that for the first time. And I do think it's a really great opportunity to to grow. I'm talking with Margot Starbuck. We are talking about her newest book. She has several. They're all excellent. Uh, this one is The Grown Woman's Guide to Online Dating. You can find Margot at margostarbuck.com, and we're going to be right back. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. Continuing my conversation with my friend, Margot Starbuck. She also happens to be a New York Times bestselling author. You're one of the few people who I, I know who's like, your book's like start in Target. Like, nobody else gets their – I mean, that just doesn't happen. So anyway, it's super fun um, to talk with Margot today. Um, the book is uh, is The Grown Woman's Guide um, to Online Dating. And we really are talking here to Christians. Um, the conversation starts with embracing who you are as a woman already beloved, creating an irresistible profile that highlights what makes you unique, Um, assessing what you're really looking for, what you like and dislike about men's profiles, the things that they post, the way they talk about themselves, the things that they choose to talk about, Um, writing a message that is most likely to get a response, recognizing these red flags, signaling caution. Um, That's sort of the wisdom chapter. And then understanding and avoiding the practices of ghosting and catfishing. Now, because, Margot, I I don't know these words, um, I am simply going to ask you, what is ghosting and what is catfishing? Oh, yeah. Let's add breadcrumbing. Um, <gasps> breadcrumbing. Yes. That feels like that's going to lead me to a place that somebody is going to lock me up and eat me. That's a terrible exactly. thing. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So, um, so ghosting, I'll say, is the most prevalent. And that is simply when you're, um, let's say you're messaging on the site. It's just like texting, but it's, you know, within the dating app. And a guy just disappears. Or I'll say it, I'm sure women just disappear. So like you're beginning to get to know someone, build a relationship, and then they disappear. That is ghosting. And boy, I I feel like it happens more often than not, because in this culture of dating, it's different than meeting someone in high school or college or the workplace where you have all of these shared connections and relationships and accountability. There is none of that in cyberspace. And I think even really decent human beings feel fine about just disappearing and going away. That is ghosting. And then... Catfishing is a little more of a mystery to me. That is where someone sort of misrepresents who they are um, as they're getting to know someone. And yeah, there is a popular TV show called Catfish. But what's funny about this is when I went out to lunch with a girlfriend who's a very successful business person, turns out she being like very financially stable was getting catfished a lot more than I was. Like, you know, people see on my profile that I'm like a writer, an artist, and they're like, no, we're not even going to waste our time catfishing Margo. And then (laughs) breadcrumbing is um, when you're having a conversation with someone, it's clear they're really not interested. And they just sort of trail off and they'll throw you a crumb every day or two. um, But the relationship really isn't going anyplace. So some of this is just bad cyber behavior that there's really no accountability for. So um, in my own personal experience, Margot, of doing this, um, I, I will say that being who you are 
authentically um, mm. is so important. And it's kind of challenging um, for some people, I think, to be authentically who they are in an environment that's so foreign. Um, but uh, but I will say that one of the people who I had the opportunity to begin a conversation with online, I mean, this is now, you know, like 12 years ago, um, uh, you know, there were just lots of things about him that, you know, were very much aligned with who I am and the way that I see the world and my values and all of those things. Um, but in the process of talking with him, it became very clear to me that what God was really interested in doing was having his relationship with his first wife restored. Because his his real heart was that he wanted to be able to grandparent his, you know, his forthcoming grandchildren. Um, he wanted to be able to grandparent them with her. Like, it was like in his heart to do this generational thing. And I'm like, okay, what are you doing on here? And he's like, what are you doing on here? You don't understand what this whole platform is about? And I'm like, well... Clearly, I do understand because everything's a ministry platform to me. So um, anyway, uh, instead of my meeting him for a date, I like instructed him to go and be reconciled. Anyway, they are remarried. I know they are. They reconciled. They went through this long period of process of having their pastor counsel them. They'd been divorced for like five years at the time, but neither of them had, uh, you know, had really pursued any other relationship. And so they went through this process of being restored and they're, they remarried and they were both present at the birth of their first grandbaby. Like, how oh great is that? Gosh, that is beautiful. And Carmen, I just want to like tag team and say that like, if our prime directive is to love God and love people, then this is no different. And, um, and it's going to look all different ways. I love that loving people looked like that weird thing. And it is so beautiful. Um, but you know, I know another woman and in the one date she had with a guy, she shared about the way that a broken relationship with her father was reconciled and similarly like really encouraged um, this man to pursue something like that. So yeah, even if he's not Prince Charming, I do feel like our prime directive is still to love people like Jesus loved people. So all right, oh, Mary, Mary Rose, Mary Rose has texted into the show and, uh, and let's see, I think is Mary Rose the person who's asking that she's in her early sixties and wants to know if it's too late. Ooh, ho, ho. It oh, is that wasn't not- Mary Rose. Oh. This is apparently somebody else. Sorry. Okay. Someone has texted in this morning and said, uh, uh, I am, I am a young 60. Is it too late? I have said, no, absolutely not too late. Yeah. And you know, and Carmen, I'll admit that I feel some ambivalence about this because I have a girlfriend and a couple months ago, I kind of helped her set up her online dating profile and she's, I want to say late fifties. Um, and the reason I felt ambivalent is because it really can be a, it can be a bumpy journey and you have to be brave and you have to trust God and you have to be ready for all the things. But at the same time, um, I feel like it is a great way to meet people we would not have otherwise found the opportunity to meet. And just the way you see the world as like a ministry platform, I really do see these online um, dating sites as a way God can use to connect us with, um, with folks that we wouldn't know otherwise. So it is not too late. Oh, I like this. This is Mary Rose. She is uh, she's reminding us that when we marry a person, we marry their habits. And so if you can discover 
what that other person's habits are, which, again, you and I would say that people give away a lot in their online photos and in their profiles and the things they choose to talk about or dwell on or ask about. Um, and so pay attention to the habits of the other person, because that is one of the things, obviously, that you're going to live with. Don't don't imagine that you're going to change them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Margot. I know. Can you come back some other time and we talk about other stuff? Because one of the things we didn't get to talk about today is that you're also a mom to three teenagers. And like, that's a whole nother complex part of the conversation. It is. It is. We really could go for days, Carmen. I know. I know. Hey, all right. I love you. It's so great to talk with you. Congratulations on the new book. MargoStarbuck.com is the website. The book, if you're interested in this particular one. Uh, is The Grown Woman's Guide to Online Dating. But she's got a lot of other great books, if this is not where you are in terms of stage of life. Um, So check her out. Margot, again, thank you so much. Thank you, friend. We'll be right back. (laughs) All right, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It's fun to catch up with old friends. Um, And so, all right, here, I've got a summer stargazing Um, point to make here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, I was reading a headline about uh, as you're watching the stars, as you're stargazing, you know, in these sort of late days of summer, you know, you're out there, you're lying in the backyard, you're counting stars, you're watching shooting stars. Actually, many of those shooting stars are now satellites falling from the sky. I found that a little disconcerting, but it did remind me to thank God for Um, what he has done and the stars that he has set in the heavens. And so I lift up to you Psalm 33. Why don't you uh, go read it during the break that we're going to have right now. Psalm 33, where where it talks about, you know, all that God has made. And by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and their starry host by the breath of his mouth. We've got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.